Hello, and welcome to the Block Solid podcast, where we talk about the evolution of the property market, the newest technologies that enhance and revolutionize the world of real estate as we know it, and how we, the owners, the buyers, the entrepreneurs, the investors, can benefit from it all. I'm so excited today to present our investor and legendary VC, Tim Draper. Hi, Tim. How are you? Hey, Al. How are you? Good to be on your show. Thank you so much for coming. I am so excited because both of us are into the fractional real estate investment beyond many other things that we have in common, which you probably don't know, but I read or rather listened to your book and followed your shows through the years. So we have quite a few things that I'm curious about. I probably should have written the book more for people to listen to it because I think more people have listened than read it. It's um, true. But the woman has a nice voice, doesn't she, that that reads the book. She I does. was thinking of doing it myself, but I think I'd do a, a horrible job. But So anyway, <laughs> a woman read The Startup Hero and she did a beautiful job. She did a great job. Yeah, it was a pleasure to hear And specifically, you know, why don't we just dive into one of the things from the book, Tim? Of course, it discusses your journey, you know, through different phases of your life. But one thing that stood out for me was your bucket list. And I immediately kind of, I love making lists and plans and things like that. Immediately jumped into making like a hundred bullet item on my list Has something changed since 2017? Have you added more items or have you succeeded to do, you know, some of those hundred? Yeah, it's fun to have a bucket list because if you're close to one, you it, veer, it takes you off the track a little bit. And then when you do it, when you accomplish one, you feel like, oh, good, I've, I've done that. And then you come back to whatever your track is in the world. And you're better at it because you've tried something outside of your area of expertise. And yeah, let's see, I have, God, I've recently marked one up off and I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember what it was. <laughs> I haven't walked on the moon yet. I know that. And I haven't written my, not my fiction book. I've written my nonfiction book, but not my fiction book. And I got encouraged to write another nonfiction book. And it sort of took me off the track for the fiction book. And I have really enjoyed doing all those things. They really do. Oh, I am now at 49 of the 50 states. So I have spent a night in 49 of the 50 states. And one of the things I that was on my bucket list was to do business in four countries. Turns out I've done business in about 60 countries. Wow. <laughs> so you do a little, you know, you put something down and you can overachieve it. And that's a great thing. So I've really enjoyed having that bucket list. And it really does. Every once in a while, I refer back to it. I never change it. Although I did get a buy on one. I have a friend who I wrote the bucket list with. And I got a buy because I had tickets and backstage passes michael jackson concert in london and he died the weekend before he was supposed to be on stage and i was supposed to meet michael jackson that was on my bucket list and it just never happened yeah that kind of there you go sometimes a bucket list is needs to be adjusted a little bit 
but I've kind of kept it the way it is. And there, and I next week am going to run up the Empire State Building. So that's another check mark for me. So yeah, oh, wow. the bucket so, Okay. You know, I tried to do it the last, I do it, tried to do it last year because they only have the run up one time a year. How many and stairs are that? But I had, I was walking in and my wife said, oh my God, the dog got sprayed by a skunk. And I looked at her and I said, uh-oh, <laughs> I realized I had COVID and so I couldn't go. And so I wasn't able to go to New York to run up the Empire State Building. But this year I'm going and I am healthy. So ready to rock and roll. I was healthy then too, but yeah. I, I how many stairs is that? I've done the Israeli version of the Empire State Building, the Azraeli Center in Tel Aviv. It was a thousand one hundred and forty-four stairs. How yeah, stairs I think this is. Be? I think this is sixteen hundred steps, something like that. Okay, not too bad. Not too bad. So it's a lot, and I am at least one year worse off. So I'm going to have. It'll be a challenge for me. It's going to be good. That's what they're supposed to be, though. These bucket list items are supposed to be a challenge. Absolutely. Well, I have faith, Tim. I'm sure you'll you'll uh, rock and roll, and I'll see you right after, right? I'll see you at the LA Blockchain Summit on the 20th. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We'll be back in, is that, yeah, back in LA for that. Yeah, back in LA. So that's organized by Draper Goring Home, which is one of your funds. You are invested across different industries, heavily and blockchain and crypto, which is a happy, uh, a great thing for us because we are in the Web3 space. And you also have a generalist fund, the Draper Associates. How do you decide where to, or, you know, where, where to put capital? Oh, well, I only manage Draper Associates. The rest of them are a part of the Draper Venture Network. And we have 22 relationships. They cover about 60 cities. And there are probably about 60 different funds that are all a part of the Draper Venture Network. And we get together with all of them and discuss best practices and brainstorm. And I've been pretty active with the Draper Gorn Home team because that's all about crypto. And I think that our future has a lot to do with how we accept crypto, Bitcoin, smart contracts the decentralized world, I think they're going to make a big impact on us. Yeah. How is that? Well, I think that the world's about to go through an anthropological leap. We used to be geographically limited and our governments were all set up geographically as monopolies. And each government would tell people, the people of the of the land, what the rules of the land were. Well, that still kind of happens, but now people, if they don't like what their government's doing, they can see what the other government's doing and they can move. And so Choose. governments have to be accountable to their people for the first time ever. Government is a and, servant, right? And so government is a service and it should be, and we're all going to be better off because of it. And it's going to be some governments are going to take to this a lot faster and better than others are. And I think that having a, a currency that's outside of governments like Bitcoin is going to really help us understand how 
important it is to to have a global economy, one that's somewhat borderless above the above the geographic borders. And I think that can be 80% of the the global economy and then the rest can be sort of tied to these artificial countries. I think we're about to go through this and you can see what happens whenever there's going to be a big change like that. There are two types of leaders. They're the ones that are trying to cling to power and they're putting up borders and they're creating trade wars and barriers and telling locking people down or invading other countries. And then there are the ones that are saying, huh, this may be our big opportunity for our people. And those are the ones like El Salvador who say Bitcoin's a national currency. And now the Central African Republic has followed suit. They now Bitcoin's their national currency. Ukraine has followed suit. They did it sort of in an act of desperation, but they realized that that could be a great thing. That's the only way Um, they're getting a lot of money in right now is donations. Yeah. Japan made Bitcoin a national currency when China made it illegal. So all the entrepreneurs fled from China and went to Japan. Yeah. And all these small countries, I know that Switzerland started out with all the, every ICO that happened was Swiss. And then they started to overregulate. And then people went to Malta and Gibraltar and Mm -hmm. other places to do their ICOs. And then the Swiss realized they were missing out on a big opportunity. And then they lightened up. Their regulation. So that was a great example of a country realizing that they're in competition and realizing it early and making an adjustment. You're seeing, and I actually think, imagine if back in whatever, 1985, the US had said, we're going to tax the internet or we're going to make it illegal or whatever. Mm-hmm. All of that internet value would have gone to another country. Absolutely. And the same thing might be happening now. The U.S. has kind of overregulated, but not not too too badly, but they've kind of overregulated on crypto. You know, you can't do an airdrop here. You can't do, um, you know, DeFi is heavily regulated. I think smart contracts they haven't really considered yet. You can't do a DAO because they call that they won't allow that to happen. So I think the U.S. Is, is going to miss out on a lot of the great value. In fact, I was jealous. I met some of the government officials from El Salvador, and they were talking about what was going on there. And they were talking about having smart contracts and how they were paying with Bitcoin and they were paying their taxes with Bitcoin and everything was automatic and everything was taken care of and it was all on the blockchain, taxes, everything was on the blockchain. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're already five years ahead of the US. Absolutely. In their thinking. And so that can change the fortunes of people 40 years from now, 20, 40 years from now. You know, China went from being the poorest country in the world to one of the richest just by opening up and making it a free country. And then for some reason, they decided that leader just decided to lock it back down. And now they're going to be a poor country. Again. I know, right? <laughs> Except that I hear he's under uh, house arrest. So maybe there's hope there. Maybe there's hope for them. Well, I see that you're quite vocal on Twitter. 
against inflation, against, you know, not against inflation, against the policies that lead to inflation, against the, the policies that over-regulate. I saw you wrote, less regulation equals more economy, jobs, and prosperity. And we certainly agree with that. In some cases, regulation could create opportunities. So RecTech and perhaps the blue ocean as opposed to red ocean, which I feel kind of what hap- what's happening in our industry, it's not all bad, right? In the security token fractional investment industry. I- I'd love to jump forward to the subject of real estate and why that's such a- an important topic for you and why you think fractional real estate is the, the next big thing. So first I'll tap on regulation there. I actually think it was the the U.S. sort of jumped on it, and then they they decided it was a security, and they that kind of messed with the whole the whole opportunity. Yeah, the thing the U.S. really needs to focus on is just work taxes into it and put all of the yeah. accounting and auditing and all that into the blockchain and make it all a Bitcoin economy or allow a Bitcoin economy because I can't I can't wait for a time when I can raise a fund all in Bitcoin, invest it all in Bitcoin, have the employees and suppliers of the entrepreneurs be paid in Bitcoin, yeah. and then have the whole thing be in a in a walled garden where the investors get their money in the waterfall just the way they're supposed to. And it all happens on the blockchain. All in one big smart we contract. Do all of that on solid block, by the way. And <laughs> yes, and I do the whole thing with no auditor, no accountant, no bookkeeper, no transfer agent, yeah, no lawyer. All of that, <laughs> and and it would save me a fortune, yeah. and it would also save my investors a fortune, and the entrepreneurs would benefit. And Everybody you can incentivize the whole ecosystem to bring investors, to bring profits, to bring network, to bring proof of concept, to bring mm-hmm. clients, and you know everybody will. And all the incentives attract, right? Royalties automatically combine NFTs with security tokens. That type of universe, right? Yeah, and the U.S. hasn't made that legal yet. So once they do, then I think we we'll have a whole new renaissance. That'll be really extraordinary. Yeah. Now with real estate, real estate, biggest industry, I think it's one of the three biggest industries in the world. I think there's oil, government, and real estate. I'm not sure exactly which which order, but real estate's huge. And real estate is one of the industries that will be affected by the blockchain, by Bitcoin, and in, in a number of different ways. One is like solid block tokenizing the real estate. One is like property tokenizing title to real estate. We actually have another company that's thinking about tokenizing real estate in the virtual world, which is a whole different world. And it feels like this is a perfect opportunity, a perfect time to bring in the individual investor. And I think the US is always tripping over itself, keeping the individual investor out of the private markets. And I think that's to all of our detriment. Because think about it, let's say you're 25 and you're just starting out and you're thinking, I've got to own a piece of real estate. And you have, you know, $12. You're going to want to do it. You're going to want to try it. You're going to want to 
put that $12 to work. And in the U.S., they sort of protect you, you from yourself there. And you can't do it until you're a millionaire. So how are you going to get to be a millionaire if you've only got $12 and you're not allowed to invest it in the you private market? heavily from the bank, right? Yeah, then you then you you overextend. You It's like the Catholic Church making everybody celibate, you know, and then, then you find out the priests have gone off the rails. And it's the same kind of thing that that guy with $12 borrows a bunch of money, gets himself into financial trouble. And it's all because we've over-regulated and we've made it so he can't invest in the private markets. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we come to our senses there. But in the meantime, I love the idea that any investor can come in and buy a piece of the Empire State Building or of the or of a house or of whatever so that they feel great about what they they feel ownership. There's this real value to ownership. It's like the difference between somebody who owns stock options in a company and somebody who just gets an hourly wage. Yeah. It's like the owner or the renter. When you own a house, you take good care of that house. If you rent a house, eh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. You do if you think you're going to rent it again, but you don't if you think this is, you know, one, one and out. And I think people take care of their businesses that way. If they're owners, they, they do more to help it. So if you have multiple owners of a piece of real estate, there are going to be a lot of people going over and picking up the cigarette butts and cleaning the floors and doing whatever it takes to make sure that real estate is more and more valuable and that people want to rent it. And I like that economy. I like what that could do for the world. And so I, whenever I invest, I like to think, what if it works? And is that a world I want to live in? And in the case of Solid Block, absolutely. That's a world I want to live in. I and I, I want everybody to be able to invest in real estate. I'm, I want them to, you know, here in the Silicon Valley for, you know, regulation reasons, we have artificially high priced houses. And so people rent and they can't afford to buy a house, but they could afford to buy a house in Iowa. And so they, you know, that's kind of a fun thing. You could, you could rent here and buy a house in Iowa. Yeah. And then you feel like I'm an owner, but I'm also a renter. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I think that real estate, this could really have a huge impact on real estate and ownership and the rent and the management of a piece of real estate can all be somewhat separated and tokenized. And, and I think that that can make for a really interesting marketplace where we get better and better service at the real in in the real estate we get more and more people can participate in the growth of the value of real estate they can get the coupon they can get rental income there are a lot of great things here for investing in real estate there are a lot of great things that can happen and they can only happen for millionaires in the US so hopefully we can get some of that changed absolutely and i feel also that the blockchain aspect of tradability of these contracts, right? In general, what is fractional real estate? Is ability to get into a contract with a real estate owner that doesn't assume that I'm buying the whole asset. Like my contract as a fractional real estate investor 
is me buying a piece of the property, usually not having a lot of governance rights, although that might change right, with the DAOs. So me being able to buy that contract is still limiting me as a small investor because I'm worried, right? I don't have any rights to sell that contract usually, right? To someone else. I don't have any rights to exit. Whereas in the blockchain world and the peer-to-peer transactional world, I can sell that contract to someone else. And blockchain will track where that contract went. We'll make sure that there is a compliance and that you undergo and also that the dividends or interest or reports and accounting go to the right type of person or as we start thinking about it, the right type of the right wallet, right? We're not thinking about people anymore. And who's the owner? Like, well, I mean, if it were a piece of a house that Arnold Schwarzenegger used to own or Taylor Swift has a, it was a previous fractional owner of this building. And that then has some value that's even beyond the the mm-hmm. trading value. You could do some really interesting things with this. I agree. I, I think you're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we are having a lot of fun, especially as our industry is moving towards more of a financial revolution. Blockchain allowed many industries to develop, right? From crypto, kind of you you got very early into crypto, right? You were yeah. the Bitcoin investors. And then, you know, that evolution from the crypto asset class went into things like stable coins. And now there is the government stable coins that are kind of controversial. And then there's DeFi industry, the decentralized finance, the new types of banks that lend, whether or not, you know, they they go by risk management, traditional risk management or not, you know, the things are still improving. And at the same time, with fractional investment, you can trade, you can leverage your fractional investment as you can leverage your home ownership. That's the new phase that we see happening a lot. And I saw that you posted something about MakerDAO recently, and one of your startups, uh, I think Coinbase, doing interesting things with USDC. So a lot of happening in that industry, the leverage and lending as a base of stable coins or base of other assets, and then combining these investments into aggregate products, structured products, indices. And like you said, Taylor Swift or other types of celebrities owning piece of piece of assets, it's kind of like a, a quality stamp, right? So we call that underwriting. We would invite Taylor Swift to come and underwrite this, this asset, right? Kind of give it a quality assurance stamp, right? So still a lot to go. We just said the very beginning. It's great. Yeah, I've always thought the that the stable coins were just a bridge to Bitcoin, which they they kind of are. And the reason I kind of like MakerDAO in that field is that in other as opposed to Luna Terra thing, it dilutes when Ethereum drops in value, but it goes infinitely. So you will never have a crash the way you did with Terra Luna. So I like the way they've they've created it. It has an infinite, they can infinitely print maker if the Dow starts dropping below a dollar. So I think they've got a it's a good model and it will stabilize that. And that the problem with those currencies is that they're still tied to a government. <laughs> you know, yeah. if it's tied to a dollar, it's tied to a government, and governments yeah. can print money. And they can inflate your money and your money is worth less and less and less over time. And that is that's happened throughout the ages because governments decide they just want to print more money 
and then you have to put up with it and the money you have is worth less. That is not true in the case of Bitcoin. Absolutely. So tell us more about Bitcoin. I mean, everybody knows what Bitcoin is by now, I hope. <laughs> but we're watching kind of this liquidity crisis in the market in general, right? All the stock markets are down. All the asset classes are down, except, you know, a few like oil, perhaps, and maybe arms at this point in time. Yeah. Um, when, is Bitcoin always going to be tied now forever to the rest of the asset classes that are impacted by institutions of liquidity? Or do you think there is going to be a time when there will be kind of this decoupling of Bitcoin from traditional asset class. Yeah, I think there is a, I think we're going to see a decoupling at some point because there's sort of two kinds of investors, two buyers of Bitcoin. One is the group that just sees a better future and they just say, hey, this is better. It's decentralized. It's open. It's not tied to any government. It's not a political coin. It has, you know, no central figure could, can ever print more. It's everything you'd hope for in a token yeah, or in a, in a currency. And I think those are the people that are going to just stay with it. And if, thing, and if it drops, they buy some more. The ones who speculated on it will also be the ones who are the, the ones who sell it on the way down. And so they're the same ones who speculated on the tech companies, and they're now selling them on the way down. Eventually, what will happen is in the tech company world, yeah, maybe they have some people who are the equivalent of hodlers, but the hodlers in Bitcoin will you know, see open, like this is an opportunity to buy in and slowly but surely they'll start buying back in. And then there will be more demand than supply, and it'll just rocket back up the way it's rocketed down because there was more supply than demand. And Bitcoin, it is a limited supply, so load up the boat. Yeah, the other thing is that with if you've got, if the interest rates go up, what that means is that's artificially that the Fed is trying to lick its wounds from printing so much money before. And what that does is it says, well, my risk-free rate's up to like 5% now. So the PE ratio, that equivalence to a PE ratio of like 20. When it was at one, that was a PE ratio of 100. So that would argue that the Fed moving the rate up would drop the stocks from 100 down to 20. Wow. And when the stocks are falling, people are poorer and they have less money to put into Bitcoin and other things. And so there will be for a while less money to go in. But then when there, then there's this time at the end of a bear market where it's like everybody gives up and nobody wants to buy a stock ever again. I think Bitcoin will be among the first to rise. And I also think that once retailers can are accepting Bitcoin because they know they can save 2%, they now pay to the banks. 2% for a retailer is a huge number. And so if they can save 2% with just by accepting Bitcoin, that's a big deal. And when people can buy their food, clothing, and shelter all in Bitcoin, they're not going to need fiat money. And there will be a run on the, run on the fiat bank. That is my prediction. Run on the fiat bank. And it, it's coming. It's just when 
Now I have, when I was buying a house, the owner figured out who I was and they, they said, well, we'll take Bitcoin. And that, so there's, there's shelter. The Kentucky Fried Chicken in Canada was the first ever retailer to accept. They had a Bitcoin bucket. Yeah. And they, and so that there's food and then clothing. Yeah. I, actually, I think Zolingo accepts Bitcoin. I think you can get clothing for Bitcoin, but it's got to be pervasive. It's got to be all the retailers everywhere starting to say, all the grocery stores, everybody's got to say, yeah, we're accepting Bitcoin. Yeah. They will save 2%. And then that, then that'll be a currency that is generally growing in value versus one that you know will drop in value over time. Even if they raise interest rates, there is a natural inflation that's built into all fiat currencies. Right. There is a, well, I don't know if it's a natural inflation, right? It's an artificially induced inflation by the government. Right. <laughs> right. Government wants to, to do something, so they print money, uh-huh. and then the money that you have is worth less. I loved it when last year the government went for limiting the members of Congress from trading stocks. And what you said is super interesting. You talked about a PE ratio, and I just want to kind of break that down for the listeners in case they don't know. PE is price over earnings, right? PE ratio yeah. is earnings. Yeah, and it's a way of valuing public companies. Yeah. And some public companies don't have earnings, so it's hard to know what a PE doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But many of them do, and they're mostly valued based on what's the long-term value of the cash flows that would come in from that business. And those are always estimated based on growth rates and a number of other things. But anyway, a quick and dirty way of valuing a company is a price to earnings ratio. Yes. If the price is price is 20 and the earnings, so profit per share is one, then you have a 20 PE ratio. Yeah. And you invested in Robin, right? When it was one of the yeah that you made. Yeah. On the on the homepage, that's like one of the first things you see. And by the way, that's an example of a company that number one, of course, revolutionized the access of just the masses, right? Like over 50% of Americans trade stocks. And the second is crypto. They found a way kind of to go around being able to trade crypto by trading instruments that follow crypto. And I thought that was super, super creative. And now I think it's maybe even it's surpassing crypto, you know, crypto trading or crypto instrument trading blowing up on, on Robinhood. Right. Oh, great. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah the, but boy, that is a very creative company. And they've done some extraordinary things to build that. Absolutely. Value. And, and they did bring the individual investor into the market. And everyone kind of has a Robinhood uh, account now. Everybody so, does. Everybody does. So, and, as well, right? And, so, right. And these young, young people have Robinhood and Coinbase accounts, and they're getting older and richer. And, and the, the older coolest. people are dying off. It's true. And the coolest thing <laughs> is that now Coinbase and other crypto exchanges are gearing up to trade stocks. Some of them are doing it, whether or not it's, it's 100% legit trading securities. But, you know, why should you go to Robinhood if you can just do everything on one exchange? So uh, I find it's that really interesting. 
Yeah, really. Not, ooh, that's they're all touching each other's business. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, the competition's good. They they if they all compete, we get a better service for a lower price. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So this, the, I wonder what the PE ratio for Bitcoin would be because Bitcoin does have earnings, and I mean, you mentioned that the inflation has an influence on that, right? Inflation is low. Investors are willing to pay more for stocks, and obviously, liquidity is higher in the market, and the opposite. And Bitcoin does have a return through, you know, DeFi markets being able to lock your Bitcoin or any crypto on one of the decentralized exchanges or even centralized like Gemini, for example, or Coinbase, you can lock Bitcoin in a, in a wallet and get an interest rate, right? Just like you can right. in a bank. And that's what, six, seven, eight percent, something like that. So there is. Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess Bitcoin's selling at about a 17 PE ratio. That's one way to look at it. That's fun. It's fun, <laughs> isn't it? This whole, yeah. yeah. So another thing that's super fun was your show. I really enjoyed Meet the Drapers. I think that was one of the things on your bucket list, kind of a reality show, wasn't it? Right. Well, no, I think we be on a television show, but I, I didn't realize I was going to create one. And I did it just for fun. I did it with my sister and my dad, and we were just doing it for fun. My sister's an actress. She was in 30-something. And did a whole bunch of other things. And she's now a producer, writer, director. She's really quite extraordinary. And my dad, of course, has been a pioneer in venture capital. And he did the first venture philanthropy organization in the world. And Jesse was on it. Your kids were on it. And Jesse was on it. And my other kids, Adam, Billy, we haven't had Eleanor on, but we'll get her on there eventually. And we didn't, we did it for fun. We didn't realize that it was going to catch on the way it did. We now have 12 million viewers and we're expected to have 30 million viewers next season. Wow. You're going to be the Kardashians, aren't you? (laughs) Well, we're going to pass, we're going to pass Shark Tank. Whoa. Which is amazing. Things are more fun for sure. Because Shark Tank is like, kind of like, I think the sharks are cool, but they're kind of like very sharky. And there, you know, there's one angle to it. And it's like, how do we make lots and lots of money from these people that are coming on a show? And, you know, but I love about your show is that it's cross-generational. Like you have your younger kids sitting there and giving a perspective of somebody from, you know, Gen X, Gen Z, like all the letters of the alphabet. You right. know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have guest judges and they're so much fun. We've had everything. Well, next season, we're going to have a cardinal from the Catholic Church. I asked him, well, so as Catholic Church, you're an arbiter of what is good and what is yeah. evil. And yeah. he goes, yes. And I said, I said, okay, well, which of these entrepreneurs do you think is good and which ones are evil? Oh my God. Well, no kidding. The Catholic Church is one of the largest investors out there. <laughs> and in real estate too, right? Oh, they own a lot of real estate. And then we had Joe Montana and he, you know, it was all about what makes a champion, you know, and he's a big thinker. He was terrific. And we've had Vivek Ranadive, who owns the Sacramento Kings, who's been a great entrepreneur. And he came to the U.S. with $50 and built this incredible empire. And we've had some just, it's really been a fun, fun, amazing thing. Uh, So I can't, I can't wait to see what the next season looks like did you find oh we're doing an olympics 
Yeah. We're doing an Olympics. We're going all over the world and interviewing entrepreneurs wherever we go. Oh, I love that. The Entrepreneur Olympics. That's pretty cool. Yeah, different. It's a sport. It's a sport. Even though we sit yeah. in chairs in front of a computer, generally, it's a type of a sport. <laughs> it is. It's like an e-sport. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anything, fi- anything fun or anything, any company that we should be paying attention to from, from that show? Did you find anything really cool? Yeah, we've got one that's a big unicorn now, and it wasn't when it was just getting started. And they, it's called Buildable. <laughs> and what they do is they build houses as though they're on an assembly line. Oh, I love those. And he's looking at building houses the way you would build, the way Steve Jobs was looking at building an iPhone. Wow. It's this perfect assembly, and it fits on a truck, and then it unfolds on the land. and Suddenly you have a house. Yeah, he's that, that is a big, huge deal. He's got a he's got an enormous factory. I think it's in somewhere in Nevada. Yeah. And he's got, and then we've had a number of other really interesting companies on the show. They won a little bracelet that you put on if you're blind. And I tried it. I walked around with this bracelet and it it kind of goes when you're getting too close to something. And yeah. so instead of a, a, or in addition to a cane, if you're blind, you can kind of go, uh, you, know, you, can, you can walk you can around with your eyes closed. Safer. Yeah. But, and then we've done quite a few. There's a, something called Vivu, which is a personal health. You, you pee on a stick. And if you pee on the stick, then it gives, gives you ratings and those ratings get sent up to your phone mm-hmm. and then it shows you know you've got not enough potassium and you got too much sugar and you got something else and then they monitor you over time and as things you things can get better or worse depending on what you've been doing eating exercise right. huh? yeah. um, and they've done very well so we've yeah so much fun and one company got on the show and between the time she was on the show and came to our semifinals, the show had aired and her business went from zero to a million in sales just from being on the show. Of course. Yeah, that was just crazy. To me, all of a sudden I thought, oh my God. So having people on the show, it's valuable to them to be on the show. It's valuable to us. We get to see entrepreneurs valuable to the viewers they can play the game we used to add crowdfunding but we're we put that off for a while to let it settle yeah but anyway we love the show thank you for asking no absolutely i love the show too please make more <laughs> yeah please make more. <laughs> i love that your children are following in your footsteps too is that exciting or you know would you rather they kind of pursued their own path or well they are fantastic i never really guided them toward anything (laughs) they found their own way but three of them ended up being venture capitalists and one is an artist and it's not (laughs) yeah and they have they've done some really interesting things my daughter jesse is only backing women female entrepreneurs and that has been enormously successful in a lot of different ways. It's really woken the world up. And she's really doing extraordinary things. She's down in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think my son, you just 
backing women, but also businesses that are making impact in the lives of women. Oh, that too. Yeah, she and she does. She's got a new podcast that's all about family. So that's going to be fun to hear. And then Adam, Adam and Billy also have podcasts, which is fun to hear. When I go for my walks, I I just listen to my kids and feel like I've been with them for an hour. Um, (laughs) It's more like you used to follow them on Instagram to know where they are. And now you follow them on their podcast to know what they're investing in. That's the next level stuff. Yeah. That's next level stuff. Yeah, Adam, Adam has been going after DSI, which is decentralized science. That's his that's his new field. Wow. And he sure he sure knows how to pick them. Uh, He's been I know. I know. Done some great things with those. I don't even know what that is, but mm. we're gonna have to do you know what? We'll ask him on a podcast to talk about DSI. That's actually for me, it's like, whoa, go. I heard something I don't know. That's crazy. And yeah, you got to get it. You get him on a podcast. He's a, he's fun, and Billy is also really great and fun, and would would be fun to have on a podcast. He he does. He worked with me for four years, and so he's started his own venture fund called Path Ventures, and that is doing great things too. So fun to have three kids in the business, and yeah, it's more more deal flow for me, and it's fun for them, and you know. I got good places to invest money and everything's great. I mean, it's talent. It's talent. And I strongly believe that, you know, obviously both nature and nurture have to play a role here. But you do have, you specifically, Tim, have kind of, uh, number one, obviously, some extra terrestrial ability to figure out what's next, right? Bitcoin ahead of time, like all the other investments, uh, big, big companies kind of figuring out what the formula is and then it come, becomes intuitive, right? 10,000 hours and everything, but it's also mm-hmm. probably some business sense should probably is genetic, right? And of course they grew up with you. So not surprised. It might be genetic. I don't know. My grandfather was the first Silicon Valley venture capitalist. My dad was a pioneer in venture capital. Yeah. And so part of that is probably just like, Hey, this is what we do in our family. But I think I'm just, fortunate that I get to meet eight new entrepreneurs a day and they tell me what the future is going to look like. And so it's, I, you know, people say, Oh, you've got this supernatural ability. All I do is I just listen. And then I kind of go, look, you know, four of these people have told me kind of the same thing is going to happen. And I think that might just happen. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that's how fortune tellers operate, like whether or not you believe that they actually have this natural ability, but they just look at people and they have great intuition and then they can tell you. um, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. My my sister does a lot of fortune telling, my actress sister, and she does it for fun, but she she kind of has that knack, like she reads people and understands and and fortune tellers are thinking about the future all the time. So maybe that is a thing. It could be. I think we just. It could, it could be the same kind of thing that I get from meeting entrepreneurs. They they get from meeting people who want their fortunes read. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's this is a fun podcast. This is the first time I've compared fortune telling to venture capital. <laughs> For sure. And maybe it's this a good. Be- Good way of thinking, I think. I, for sure, Tim. And then this could be, uh, you know, maybe a subject of your new book. 
There we, maybe it's just called fortune telling for exactly. venture capitalists. Exactly. Copyright. Something like that. Anyway. Yeah. I yeah. think great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a little bit of time left. I kind of always love to ask uh, investors that are successful two things. Number one is, is there anything that you saw and you didn't invest and you regretted later? Oh, yeah. Oh, so many. Yeah. Yeah. And the two that I'm responsible for, I mean, I brought in, it is going to kill you. I brought in Google and we had six search engines and my partner said, no, we got six search engines and direct hit has better technology in there. And then brought in Yahoo and, you know, they said I was a couple of kids. But my fault was I looked at LinkedIn and I thought, well, the people who want to meet with people, those people don't want to be met with. That was a big mistake. Everybody wants to be met with. And so I missed LinkedIn. And then I missed Netflix because I said to Reed, who I knew was a brilliant guy and a really good entrepreneur, I said, what, this is a business that's going to take DVDs and sell them through the U.S. mail? What are you thinking? We're about to have, we're about to stream. We're like one year, maybe two years tops from streaming movies. What are you thinking? And he said, well, they're not ready for that yet. And he was absolutely right. And his execution was so good because he he got the software into your hands and he, he got you to put your 20 best movie, your 20 favorite movies in there or the 20 you wanted to watch. And once you've done that once, you're not going to switch. And so he really figured it out. And so I missed Netflix. Mm-hmm. And then there were a couple of others that were just when my business, when we had too many partners around the table, that was a problem. And so now I, I went solo and I think I, it works out better for me. Gotcha. So I actually, I want I was going to ask you just one question, but I just got a follow up. If you weren't a VC and let's say not a fortune teller either, what would you be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortune teller came right to my mind when you said that. I would be an entrepreneur. And and at this stage of my life, maybe I'd be some sort of an educator because I am doing that with Traper University. We teach people how to become entrepreneurs in some strange and unusual ways. But I have a lot of interests. So I would have to do something that would keep those interests alive. I I like digging deep and then pulling back and looking at the big picture and then digging deep and pulling back. So venture capital is probably right for me. I don't think I have the the wherewithal to stick with one entrepreneurial company forever. There is one other thing that I would think about doing, which is I think I would create a DAO that would be a new form of governing, which is kind of a liquid democracy. I think that I might do something like that or or start something, maybe start something that's using smart contracts and building smart contracts to replace all of the contracts that there are in the world. So put it all into software so that you don't really have any real disputes anymore because it's already built into software. So I, I think those would be those are going to be important things. I think I'll back other people to do them. I know that I 
I probably wouldn't be a good person to run those companies. I'd be okay at getting them going. Absolutely. When I started in blockchain and crypto ICO world, one of the ICOs that I led marketing for was doing Google Translate or traditional contracts into the Web3 contracts. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there were a lot of tech difficulties. That is... Kind of <sighs> reminded me of the Theranos difficulties, kind of like, you know, we could get it 60% right, 70% right. And eventually you get to the 100%, but nobody has the patience. People need to have patience. And I think that's right. It would be one of those things where you just have to keep improving the contracts. Yeah. The AI and blockchain are really a marriage made in heaven, right? And in many ways. Oh, they are. And if they... If you could build it so that the AI actually kept improving the contracts so that you don't have to keep improving it yourself, that yeah. would be a really great deal. Awesome. So we're out of time, unfortunately, because this was so fun. And I want to have- We'll do it. We'll have to do it again. We will. So thank yeah, you so much. Fun too. too.